are listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fanboys and fangirls. It's your host, Aaron Broverman. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. In the house today, we have Marcus Toe. He's an artist from the illustrious Raid Studio, another guest from Raid Studio. We've had a few of them now. He's worked on things such as uh, Batwing from the Batman Incorporated spinoff. He's worked on The Flash. He's worked on New Warriors. Uh, he's worked on Fathom and Soulfire and Hacktivist and Cyborg 009. But mainly, he came in here to promote his newest book with Boom Studios, Joyride. Hey, Marcus, how's it going? It's going great, Aaron. Good to good to be here. Yeah. So before we get into like your latest project, I wanted to sort of get into the the basics of your life and how you got into comics, and then how you got into uh, drawing as a profession. Where were you born? You don't originally come from Toronto, right? No, I was born in a city called Red Deer, Alberta. It's a pretty small city. It's right in between Calgary and Edmonton. It's actually grown like a, a bunch since I left there. But, you know, a good good place to grow up. Small, but safe and, and a lot of fun. Played a lot of sports. Had a lot of time for drawing, I'll tell you that. Nice. How old are you? I'm uh, 32. Cool, cool. So we're around the same age. I'm I'm 30. Mm-hmm. So you you sort of come from my generation. Mm-hmm. So you you're probably into some of the same types of things. What got you into comics uh, in the first place? A combination of things, actually. Uh, I mean, when we grew up, you know, Ninja Turtles was really big, right? Right. It so was... you, we watched cartoons. We bought the toys. They were in cereal boxes and all that kind of stuff. So every time something came out, I wanted more of of Ninja Turtles. And you, you'd see Archie did a bunch of comics, and I wanted to buy them. And my parents only bought me a couple. But then that brought me into comics. What really hooked me was, and this was already past the time it came out, because like, I didn't really know about it. But when Jim Lee came on x-men and that cover with you know that multi-cover one from yeah. x-men number one yeah it's like the wraparound yeah. cover like from 1992 yeah so like x-men was selling like a million copies exactly and yeah. then so the the cover with magneto the cover portion with magneto was the thing that kind of hooked me like just hook line and sinker wow. that was that was it for me and then ever since then i was trying to get everything x-men then the cartoons came out and probably around the same time but that's when i discovered it and yeah uh, ever since then i was a big superheroes fan and really gravitated towards that medium after that i feel like that era was like the beginning of like the full-scale marketing assault on on kids it was like the tv and the and the cereal and all that stuff was being like really really advertised so a lot of times i get people in here and they go you know i wasn't into comics like directly it was because i saw the show first or i saw the cartoon or or that sort of thing for a lot of people that's the only way they'll they'll know the comic books exist. I, one of the hard things about the direct market is that they're not, you know, they're not in front of people as much as they would be, say, if if they were available on act like you know full on newsstands. 
like in like shoppers or a grocery store like they used to be, right? I, I still remember going to the grocery store and hanging out, looking at comics while my parents shopped. So I, I feel like that's kind of a, a problem now. I would like to see, a lot of people don't even know that they exist anymore. Um, but yeah, when we were kids, I mean, they were everywhere. I mean, it was right. it was kind of cool, but I, I, I there might have been some rules against it nowadays because I've noticed that they don't they don't market towards kids like they used to. Right, like something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that was like a phenomenon when we, when we were growing up. Yeah, yeah. So they were that everywhere. was like everywhere. You couldn't avoid. Teenage they were in Mutant Oprah. Ninja Turtles. Exactly. I that was the first episode of Oprah that I ever watched was Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtles and MC Hammer on the same show. So yeah. stars collide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're you're into comics. You you're collecting x-men did you did you move on to other things after x-men or it took me a while to move on to other things other than x-men i mean at the time i was just hooked on anything jim lee and then i gravitated to joe madurera which of course like another x-men artist so that really started everything for me and i still even after all these years i still love the x-men and then Probably through that, because Jim Lee moved on to other things like Wildcats and when he came back to do Fantastic Four, and then also Joe Mad when he did uh, Battle Chasers, that kind of, you know, fandom, because I fell in love with that creator, I followed them doing whatever they did because I just liked the way they drew or they created stories, and that helped me get into other things. You basically followed Jim Lee to like the founding of Image and, and yeah, that sort of thing. I, I think I was still, I think I was a little late coming to the show because I think I really didn't start reading a lot of stuff. I mean, you said that the, the book came out in 92 right. or the X-Men book. Mm-hmm. I probably didn't really read that issue until maybe six, seven years later. So, like, maybe in the mid-90s, 96? Yeah, 95, 96 was around when I started collecting, too. I always feel like I'm sort of behind. Like, everything cool and trendy and things that you should be into, I get onto a few years later. Do you ever have that same sort of of feeling? Well, a little bit. I mean, like movies, actually, nowadays, too, where I I have a hard time... I want to try to make my own decision. And sometimes, you know, when people talk about things too much, like, say, for example, Star Wars Force Awakens, I didn't watch that until just recently because everyone was talking about it and I didn't want to go into a movie thinking things that other people put in my head. And that's probably why people try to see it on the first day so they don't have that. Right. But I don't want to stand in line for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and, and like... You seem like a guy who doesn't want to like buy into the hype too much. And if you go on the first day, you're in like the epicenter. Yeah. Of, I used to like hype, that though. Right? I mean, I honestly, yeah. I used to like doing that kind of stuff. Like, I remember when The Dark Knight came out, I was like, you know, I had to get first day tickets and other things like that. And you, you'd meet some pretty cool people standing in line and all that. But, uh, I just don't have the time. I've drawn too many books. Right, right. So, how did you go from like a comics fan, and were you were you collecting, you know, with the like bag and board and all that sort of stuff? And how did you go from that to I want to do this as like a profession? That's the thing, right? I I actually drew any everything from Sesame Street to to hockey players to you know you know Ninja Turtles. For my entire life, uh, my mom even told me that I would 
at, at one years old, I was holding a pencil trying to draw because my mom drew, right? My mom, to, to keep my attention, my mom would draw things as I watched her and I try to copy them. So basically my entire life, I, I drew things. I drew anything I could. When, when I got into comics, it was just kind of like, oh, this is what my art could look like. So it was more the fact that I, I drew a lot first and then comics gave me a way to make it put together, put together. you know put it all together so you were you were an artist first and then you thought oh like this is how i can translate my art into a profession well it's it's interesting because i never thought of myself as an artist and i still barely do but right, right. but what because it was something i enjoyed doing i gave it a shot when i was like maybe 13 where, you know, you really liked comics at the time and I wanted to kind of make my own. So I just started making my own. It wasn't a think thought of making money just yet. It was just a, a thing that I wanted to try and do. And I really enjoyed it because there was a, a lot of learning aspect. It was, it was almost like a vehicle for me to get better because I, it would force me to draw things I never thought I could draw. And then from there... You know, I, I didn't even start collecting until probably I was 18, 19 because I didn't have a lot of money. My parents didn't have a lot of money growing up. So we, or at least not for that kind of stuff. So I didn't really start buying a lot of comics until I had a regular job. And then that's when I started bagging and boarding and all that kind of thing. Uh, okay. so, so did you grow up in Red Deer or? I grew up in Red Deer and I left there or my family and I left there when I was about 15. And then I went to high school in Calgary. Cool. And then that whole time you're like perfecting your art. You you mentioned how making your own comics and I assume that's just like folding the pages and like stapling them together and that sort of thing. Well, not even that far. I, I never I never finished making a book. I just took, you know, regular laser print paper and just drew on it. And then they're just loose leaf papers. Right. I, did, I didn't even make my own. Well, I guess if you think about it, I did make some of my own books, but that was a long time ago, like when I was really young where I stapled stuff to make a book. But I mean, when I really focused on making my own story and my own comic, like a finished piece, I still have them at my house. It's, I think that there's like maybe like a hundred or so pages just randomly numbered. And I don't even know if they're in order, but well, I mean, you know, and, and, and it was just something to do because I don't know. I love, I, I realized how much I like telling stories. So it wasn't even a thought that I can make something out of this. It was just that I wanted to do it. Wow. That's pretty awesome. And I think that's sort of a good message to send, like people who like aspire to be comic book artists, like especially now with with like the awareness of, of comics and the movies and stuff, there's always this sense that there might be like a barrier to creating stuff and there's really not. I mean, you can just start doing it. We're we're so lucky nowadays with the internet and, and so many social media sites where people can see your work. But I mean, in the end of the day, you just have to love creating. There's no reason why, you know, there's nothing stopping you. If you want to draw a Batman story or write a Batman story, just because it's not published doesn't mean you can't do it. You can do one for yourself. You know, a lot of these things happen when you're true to what you want to do out of your life and when you enjoy it. You know, I enjoy, I realize I enjoy drawing. I, I like sitting at the desk creating and that's what makes those long hours worth it. And the fact that you can, you know, that you can dedicate all that time to, to making something tangible, which is a unique experience that not as many people have. So 
no one needed to tell me to draw. That's the funny thing. When I when I got into comic books, I just did it because I loved it. Or oh, at first, I just wanted to see if I could do it. And then I realized how much I like it. And then I continued to do it over and over again. It wasn't until I, I kind of, you know, went to school and that didn't really work out. And then tried some side jobs and just wondering where I want my life to turn, where I really focused to say, hey... I want to try getting into comic books and then I asked myself, how do I get there? And then that's when I started to really focus all the skills that I built up doing my own thing and all the stuff that I learned from school to a portfolio specifically focused on comic book. So tell me about that time in your life where you you tried to go to school and it didn't work out. Like what what didn't work out? for you like what happened after after high school i applied to a lot of animation colleges like uh, sheridan and ryerson ocad and uh emily carr in vancouver and i unfortunately wasn't good enough and just like my portfolio in general was not good enough and one school that took me in was capilano college in north vancouver and and it was a one-year program of 3d animation so I, I went through it. It was great. It was a really good learning experience. But I And I've heard this from other guys that graduated with me who are working professionals now. The year after we graduated was a very low time in animation, which was about 2002, I think, okay. I believe, 2002. So I, I couldn't find work. So I went back to school for a little bit, and I made the mistake of doing something I didn't want to do, which was computer science. And I didn't get through the years. So, and even through all this time, I was still drawing my own comic book just because I wanted to do it. It wasn't until after I, I got kicked out of school for low grades that I really thought to myself, what do I like doing? And, and it was comic books. Right. So, I, so I thought, well, and I think I was 19 at the time. All right, let's, let's focus all my energies on this now. Instead of having it as my side thing, Let's focus all my energies on this and see what I could make out of it. And l- luckily, it worked out that I got to the point where I am now. Yeah, it worked out in spades. What made you go into animation first? Did you think that that was like a more economically viable translation no, of your not talent? E- not, not even. I mean, I mean, it was more the idea that like, you know, you, you're, you're told at a young age a lot of times that you should go to school. And that was school. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it worked out in a lot of ways because animation has, has a lot of similarities to comic books. Like a lot of people think that they need to go to a specifically comic book related course when animation has it. The thing with comic books that a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the times it's just sitting there and drawing as many thing, as many figures and, and stuff as you can. So animation has storytelling you you need to learn storyboarding which is basically storytelling Com- comic books you need figure drawing and motion and learning how to have p- draw people walk and talk and do all these things like acting and that's comic books as well except for in a more condensed you know one shot type of uh medium but everything i learned in comic bo- in in animation translating to comic books immediately so i i would say that like that actually helped me more than maybe even learning just to draw comic books. Right. And then computer science is like a 
like big departure from that. It's something you said you didn't really. There was a do. couple. There was a couple reasons. Was uh, there like family pressure for no, that? No, 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 no. My family was actually really good about it. As oh, okay. long as I, as long as I did something and focused my energies on it, that's all they cared about. They, they wanted me to focus my life towards something. It didn't matter what it was. Computer science came about when, because I was in 3D animation, actually. Right. And there was a lot of people would say that if you knew how to program as well, it was a good kind of like a, a two-prong attack where you can go enter into studios saying, I know how to do all these things. Cool. Um, but uh, also, a girl I was interested in was in computer science. So that's also one of the reasons why. Uh, and that's why I did a lot of stupid things when I was younger. Yeah. So and, and that's why I try to say, like, if, if it's... You got to make decisions that is true to you, and then you'll be happy if it's if it's focused. If it's because of ulterior reasons, it's not going to work out. Like if you're going to school because your parents say so, you're not going to be happy. And and even if you do go to school, you should go to school to do something you enjoy learning about. You enjoy, even if you're not good at it, you can become good at it because you have that hunger to, for knowledge. And that's that's what I've found out for me with comics or drawing in general because I've been influenced by so many different people and different styles and different ways of doing things. I've realized how much learning is involved in it and how much I enjoy learning about and diving right into it. Wow. That's amazing. So, and you went into 3D animation because that's just like where the market was going? Uh, yeah, I, I think mean, so. 2D was sort of... Yeah, at the time, like well, early 2000s, it... 2D animation was kind of floundering yeah. a lot. Like it's 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 hit a resurgence nowadays. But back then, you know, like everything was going on with game companies making it big. Like I remember, I think that was around the time when uh, Pixar released uh, Monsters Inc. Right, and then also Lord of the Rings was going on at that time. So there was a real focus on 3D animation for movies and, and different things like that. So it, it was kind of almost like an entryway where you can imagine that you would want to go into, which is like, wow, I would love to you know, work for Pixar or Lucasfilms and other things like right, that. Right, right. And where you were in Vancouver is like a big Canadian epicenter of that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, you got yeah. EA and you have... Uh, you know, different studios that are that are working. Radical, I think, was there as well. Yeah, Radical Entertainment. Uh, you know, all these different ones. So mm. perfect. So then you dedicate yourself to comics. You make the decision that this is like what I what I want to do. How did you make that happen for yourself? At the time, I kind of. You know, and this goes back to what I was saying about learning about stuff. Like, you, if you have the drive, you don't need people to tell you to do these things. You just, you just really focus yourself on trying different things to get what you want. So, the first time I ever got my stuff looked at by somebody, I tried the typical way where you send stuff into Marvel and you, hopefully you get something back. And I was lucky, actually, when I was, I think I was in grade 12 when this happened, an editor actually sent me an actual letter saying, you know, like, we don't take submissions at the moment, but, you know, your stuff looks good. You you, you have a Jimmy Chung kind of feel with your work. Uh, you need to work on this. You need to work on that. And good luck in the future. So even though it was a rejection letter, it was actually someone taking the time to look at my work. Right. And then on top of that, Wizard Magazine at the time was really big. So I was entering contests. I never won any of those contests. But because you're going through those motions, even if you're going to fail... You, you find a way to get your stuff looked at by people. And I realized that, especially uh, as well as, you know, like 
since I was so into it at 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 that time, I was reading interviews with my favorite creators like Joe Madureira, where he he was an internet marvel first, and then Jim Lee, and then other other creators across the board. And a lot of the common themes was that you would go to conventions, and hopefully, you know, Marvel or DC would pick you up. It's less now because they don't take as many submissions anymore, but they still do at shows. They still they still kind of do. They have portfolio review times. And you can drop off portfolios to smaller companies nowadays. Right. I went to, I ended up moving to LA for a little bit to try my luck. And I go to a lot of the shows there because at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of shows. I think Wizard World Chicago uh, was the one of the best. And then San Diego was there. And then there's a few small ones here and there. And Toronto was one of them as well. But I asked myself, where were Marvel and DC tabling at? And it was San Diego. So I went by myself just one day at for San Diego to see if I can drop off my portfolio. And like I said about the learning thing, I didn't need people to tell me what to do. I, I just went to other shows and asked other people how to build a portfolio, you know? And then they suggested stuff like have small packets of your art so you can hand it out, but also have a big portfolio for things that if you do get a chance to talk to somebody, they can see the actual full-size images. Right. So. In San Diego, I, I dropped off my um, portfolio to a, a few places like Marvel and DC and Aspen, and I just sat there and wait. And then I found out through that session that I had to wait for tomorrow to see if I got chosen. So I, I didn't have a hotel. I didn't have another ticket for the day, the next day of the show. And at that time, you can still buy like a, a another day last minute, right? Like a one day pass. One day pass, yeah. It wasn't right? as busy. It wasn't. It's still super busy, and I think you can actually still possibly get in the next day because it was, it wasn't the Saturday or anything. I think it was like Thursday and Friday, right? Right. I walked around the show and I really contemplated whether or not I should do it because I didn't have anywhere to stay, right? So I I just. Just decided, whatever, I'm just going to do it. I, I, I spent the rest of the day, instead of being at the show, I spent the rest of the day looking for a hotel. So I drove around San Diego, the San Diego area, uh, trying to look for a hotel. I had to drive an, out, an hour outside of San Diego to, to finally find a hotel just by driving. I, you know, at this time, I didn't have, you don't, you don't have, the internet is handy. Like, you can't just Yelp review or whatever like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You just, I just drove around the city asking, stopping and asking if they have a room available. Because this is like the early 2000s. Yeah, this was about 2003, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why, I mean, these are things that you just do, right? You just do it because, you know, I'm going to take that chance that I might be chosen. So I finally find a hotel. I, I show up the next day. Lo and behold, my name was on the board. And I had a meeting with C.B. Sobolski. And nothing happened from that, but he, except for opening up uh, a contact with him. Yeah. And then that's... C.B. Sobolski is like the... He's like a scout, like yeah, head he, yeah, talent he developer was, for Marvel. At the time, he was basically the head scout and still editing some books, actually, at the time. Now he does other things, and, and there's other people that have taken his job, but he's he's famous around the comics book community, comic books community for being the Marvel talent scout, right. basically. 
And then so that opened up relations with me and Marvel, which didn't come to fruition until years later. But I mean, these these are the things you have to do. What did he say? Like when you met him, like that. This is like the first time. Yeah. So, so paint a picture of like what it was like for you. Honestly, I don't remember. I was it. panicking. So <laughs> I, I, you know, you're so nervous. I don't remember what he said other than like pointed out a couple things that I could work on. Uh, some of the things that he really liked about it, which was my my storytelling was very strong. But sometimes I would try things and it didn't work, which is fine. Like I, you know, in my portfolio, some some things were just raw, you know, like not just quite there yet. So, uh, and he gave me a, he gave me his card and he said, contact me and we'll talk about maybe doing some sample pages. So I walked out of that meeting. I felt great. I didn't even give up after that. I went to the Asun booth. And I and I applied there too because you don't know what you're gonna have what's gonna happen. Even if Marvel does decide to say, "Hey, yeah, we like your stuff," but they don't have work for you, what are you gonna do? So I went to Aspen and I and I applied there too, and they liked my stuff as well. And actually, that's where I got my in was through Aspen Comics, through a smaller company, because they had more work for me ready to go for a rookie like myself. And I really wasn't even ready to even do that. But they they wanted to take a chance to see if they can mold me into something that is usable. So that was that was crazy big for me. And, you know, I, I ended up working with them for three years on uh, stuff like Soulfire and... and Fathom uh, and stuff? Yeah, Fathom Kiani uh, miniseries. And, and, and then through that... I, I continued my relationship with Marvel. I I met, you know, editors uh, like Mike Martz, who at the time was the next men editor. And uh, through him, when he moved to DC to become the Batman editor, that's how I got my job as Red Robin. But that didn't happen until three or four years after my initial contact with CB Sobolski, which is why these are like, as even if things don't come to fruition, you keep lines open and you keep things going because just because that they say no now doesn't mean they mean no later. Right. And you want them to like remember you. Exactly. And you don't not to mean to bother them, but to kind of make sure that they, they know that you're growing as an artist. That's the thing a lot of people don't realize is that you might not be good enough now, but if you keep working at it, which is why you have to have that desire to create comics in general, because a lot of the work that goes before you even get the first job or that Spider-Man book you always dreamed of, those hours and years of work on your own stuff comes comes into play. And, and, and I think a lot of people that like comics seem to f- ignore the fact that Either we're going to develop or there, we, we've been developing for years. Like when people think that a lot of us are new on the scene, well, a lot of people aren't, you know? Right. They've been doing it behind the scenes for years or and for years smaller and years. companies or yeah, yeah for, for years and years and years that they've paid their completely paid their dues. Right. Like, like basically one of your studio mates, like that, that happened to Ramon. Yeah. Right. He, he won an Eisner for Tale, Tale of Sand. Mm-hmm. Right. And people, the press sort of said that the comic press was like, where did this guy come from? But I'd known that he'd been doing things like butternut squash yeah. and kookaburri and all that sort of stuff yeah. for years and years and years before, right? And that's the thing, you know, like, it, it's it's a, it's a beautiful thing about comics, but also sometimes a bit of a frustrating thing where uh, you're ignored for so long and then when you finally do something that people see, they're like, wow, you know, this is great. And sometimes you just need to be on something that people see. Right. It's, it's an interesting industry, which is why... 
I, I, I think about it like a marathon, right? You can't you can't sprint to the finish. You you have to kind of go through a lot of stuff where you might not really want to, even if you're really good. Like even if you're really, really talented, like better than Jim Lee, better than Joe Matarera, but people don't know you. People right. don't haven't seen you on a project they like. And that's that's the that's the difference between pure art and consumerism. You know, we we work in a in an industry where you, you it's it is about sales it's not just about the art it is about the sales and what sells so a lot of times people won't take a chance on somebody that like they don't know if they can sell that person did you have difficulty being that person that could be sold like what was the first book that people knew you on uh, well, I still, I still have a little bit of that difficulty to okay. be to be sold for sure. Um, I think that's a lot for a lot of people that that is the case. Sometimes you're just waiting for the right book to kind of catch fire. But um, I'm very lucky in the sense that Red Robin was the the biggest book I've worked on that people still to this day remember me from even five years later. You know, and, and I'm very proud of the fact that a lot of people come up to me. And they're, you know, about college age, early 20s. They said that when they were just getting into comic books at, in their early teens, mid-teens, that it was Red Robin that helped them get into co- superhero comic books. Because a, a lot of that generation, which was after my generation, was really into anime. Because that was when probably, you know, stuff like Evangelion came to America. You know, when you started seeing Power Rangers on TV... And then you started, Pokemon was was Huge. big, you know, like that started bringing these th- these people into anime. But then as you get older, they wanted something a little different. So that's how Red Robin came into play. You didn't, you wouldn't see the fruits of your labor for years to come because when the book was around, I mean, probably these kids didn't have money to go to conventions or had you know, had the ability to, to meet their creators. So you wouldn't even know, right. You just know that you just hope that, you know, like people were buying it. And then now that they're in their twenties, now that they, they can't come up to my table and they say all those great things about how it was that book that got them in the comics. And, and, I hope to do that again. I really do. I really think that we should always focus on younger crowd f- to try to get them in and then and then have also books to lead them as they get into their 20s and their 30s. But there should always be avenues for younger people to get into and get into comic books. And your style kind of lends itself. And I mean, the kind of books that you're known for, like Red Robin, New Warriors, it kind of lends itself to the younger crowd. The fact that your style is a little bit more manga sort of influence a little bit, where does that come from? How do you characterize, you know, the sort of youthful uh, sort of style that you have that people are attracted to? Well, I've always, I mean, I've always liked um, lighthearted uh, movies and comic books and stuff like that. So just in general, it's just the stuff that I like. And I'm not saying that I, I mean, hey, I, I'm an artist. I can draw gritty stuff right? till the cows come home too. It's just that that's not where I specifically enjoy it. And and that's that's a tricky thing about also, you don't want to be typecast because you, you want... It's it's funny when people are surprised that you can draw other things, but that people sometimes forget that we're artists and we are able to draw a multitude of things. So what I consume in general is more lighthearted, 
youthful movies and TV shows and, and stuff. I'm a big fan of cartoons, anime, all that kind of stuff. So I, 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 that's the stuff I consume. So the, sometimes, it, you know, I understand when I go onto a book like Red Robin and New Warriors that it is should be geared towards the, those those fans. But if I was to say draw Batman or the Punisher, I wouldn't draw the same way as I did because I know what the the focus of of the people that would be buying the book would be. And that's the thing that I think of people get lost on because Teen Titans, it's in the name, Teen Titans. They should be geared towards teenagers or young adults, right? right? While Punisher, where he's just shooting people, that obviously is more of an adult-oriented book. And I think that I, I would change, I, I change my styles accordingly. Just like when I did Batwing, it was a much more serious book and I altered my style so that that book has the right look for who's buying it. What makes a more youthful style? Like, what do you have to do in your drawing to make it grittier or make it more youthful or that kind of thing? Like, what do you actually well, To make do? it more youthful, I mean, a lot of it has to deal with facial expressions, but also the body types that teenagers have, you know, right. like obviously, you know, just in general, whether they be adult or teenagers, it everyone varies in body shape and type but between adult and and teenagers i mean a lot of them are not even fully formed yet fully formed as a people i mean how how many people do you know that look the same as they were as, as 16 as they were at 30 yeah i mean most people are like gangly and sort of all over exactly the place. You, and you you pull out stuff like that you know who's really good at that kind of thing is carl kershaw who did uh, teen titans mm-hmm. year one i believe and he he did stuff where you know, small things where your ears are bigger or, you know what I mean? Or your 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 hands just feel a little bit, you know, a little bit longer it, because your body is weird at yeah. the time, right? Right, right. So, you, you pull off those kind of characteristics. I, I don't do it as well as, say, Carl does, but even as small as, of, a, of a tweak as maybe alter the change the shape of the face where it's softer lines as opposed to harder cuts or the eyes less detail on the eyes and maybe have them a little bit wider open or even their eyebrows like a young teenager's eyebrows aren't going to look like a 40 year old's eyebrows there's a different eyebrows right, right. especially for men right because if you look at the the amount of hair that that you grow between that you know teenager yeah. and 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 adulthood, but those are the small things that people seem to forget, and and it's just little things. It's just really little things that really make a difference. Even more of a button nose. They say that your your nose and your ears get bigger as as you get older, but wow, you, know, you can, so you can like, do stuff like that too. So this whole time that I've been talking to you, I've been thinking like. You said before, like, I did, no one had to tell me what to do. I sort of knew what I needed to do. And for this, like, just going through, like, the details, you seem to know things that you say, like, other people forget or other people miss. So where do you get your drive and your focus and your inte- attention to detail? Well, the, where does that come from? Is it just how you The attention you were to raised? detail kind of comes from real life. Okay. As an artist, I, I usually just kind of like look at people's features and I, I, I see things around me and which is why I feel like the, the greatest inspiration is everywhere around you. You walk out on the street and this is why I love Toronto because it's a city. You could see so many different types of people. And it's multicultural. It's multicultural. 
you just walk around the city and you can just sit there and just watch people or you can just watch, look at the buildings and you can see the details that are there and it just sometimes it just sticks in my mind but when it comes to focus or the the drive it kind of came from when i was uh you know maybe not doing so well uh financially and also career wise and maybe a low point lower point in my life i wouldn't say that i'm very lucky in the sense that i've i've had a pretty good life and I, I, don't, I don't have any major problems, but on difficult times in my life, I've sat myself down and I really eliminated everything in my life, all the other worries in my life and asked myself the questions that I want to ask myself is that what exactly do you want to do and not what other people want to do, what do you want to do? Every time that I'm, I'm in, in a, a position that I'm not feeling well or or things aren't going my way, I ask myself those kind of questions. Like, what do I want out of myself? And I, it always comes down to, I want to draw. You know, I want to create stories and I want to draw. And, and then that redoubles my efforts every time because then I look at my pages differently. I don't think of them as a finished piece and why I like what I did. I like how I did it. I like the learning process of messing up or I like putting the pencil to the paper and as I'm figuring out how to draw that face, even if it's not perfect or the the pose is wrong, but I like each of those steps. So because, uh, you know, with the art, you have a unique position where everything is in the power of your your own two hands that you can create. It's almost like sculpting or or building you know you can build something with your two hands and you can feel proud of that because it comes from you as opposed to anybody else and then i just remember that all the time the drive is is that i know that it's it's easy for me to say because you know people might think that i might have the talent while other people don't but to be honest with you i had the talent to see my mistakes but i didn't have the talent to draw it took a lot of Trial and error. If you look back at my old Fathom days and where I where I come through now and in, in ten years, it's different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I I've changed the way I've drawn in these past ten twelve years since I've been working, and then I hope in the next ten twelve years, I will change again. And that's what like that's what keeps me going. You know, right. all the outside sources it can distract you, but. You know, that's when I really had to sit myself down and, and really focus again and really ask myself again, what do I want to do? Yeah, that, that's really good. Like, I, I think you're really, like, put together in terms of, like, not everybody is going to is gonna put it together for themselves. Some people are going to give up. Some people are going to be lazy. Some people are going to expect more sooner, faster. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to be willing to, you know, do the hard work and be cast in iron. So I really respect that. Well, thanks. I mean, it is it is really difficult. And I still go through a lot of times where it, things aren't happening as fast as I want them to, or I'm not getting the attention that I, I want and, and this and that. And and it's natural. It is very natural to have those feelings, right? We all go through those things. But the question always is afterwards, okay, sure, that is happening. Sure. You know, someone might not like your work or someone might not be giving you a job. Okay, that's happened. So what do you do next? How do you respond? Yeah, how do you respond? And you got to ask yourself those questions. How do you respond? And you have to sit there and make a decision. Right. People, a lot of people don't like to make decisions. Let's, let's just say that. Right. So they want, they, they hope that what they do 
it's good enough that it will carry them through, but that's usually not the case. Yeah, or someone will notice and, and they yeah. don't have to do a lot of e- effort to yeah. get there. And it's not to say that you have to, you know, kiss butt or do any of this kind of stuff. But even a simple thing is like what we're talking about is to get your work out there for people to see. If that's what you're focused on, then you should focus on that. As And we have that ability nowadays to have people have people share things, you know? Right, exactly. So you're an Asian Canadian and we yeah. talked a lot about, you know, the, the youthful influence in some of the work that you do and that kind of, that kind of style and how people sort of remembered you from Red Robin because they were into like manga and anime and that sort of thing. As an Asian Canadian, do people make assumptions? Do you get stereotyped as, oh, he must know how to draw sort of a Japan, like a Japanese Asian style. Do you run up against that sort of a thing? I've been pretty lucky that I, I don't think I have been stereotyped like that, though I've ne- <laughs> I don't know what, you know, editors say in the back rooms when they decide on books. Right, I wouldn't sure. worry about that. Cause um, I'd say that, you know, maybe online a few times people say that I draw are uh, like, my my characters or my men too dainty or too fem- effeminate, which I don't have a problem with that at all. But that goes back to the thing where I think people just think that you only know how to do one thing. Right. When right. if they've seen my commissions, I it, it can go from prettier people to uglier people. Right, right. Right, exactly. which is why on, on, on Joyride, we really focus on trying to draw aliens. So I can really focus on doing weird, if if not cute or disgusting or like ugly or different different types of people to kind of show a little bit of range. But in the end of the day, though, as well, this is, you know, Joyride is specifically focused more on to, to a younger reader readership group right and sort of the part of the reason i asked that question was because joyride at least the human characters at least what i've seen from like the first cover and that sort of thing looks like a more manga style kind of thing yeah well we were kind of focusing on just the idea of um a fun space adventure uh, i f- i feel like a lot of comic books nowadays are now a lot of people do do a really good job on on focusing on to young readership like lumberjanes and other and, and other books but for my part i want a fun youthful space adventure and and the best part about writing teenagers is that they're not fully formed humans yet which is probably why people loved spider-man at the uh, you know when they, they were younger or the x-men they were they were younger they weren't formed as people now they their 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 ways aren't set yet they're still learning how to be who they want to be in the future right and that's you know that's a fun journey to be to go along with and i think a lot of people forget that because you know maybe they're at an age where they don't see that joy anymore. They right. don't see that they can change their minds. They see things a little bit more set in stone now, which is, I understand that, you know, I understand that, but I, I personally, I, and, and this is, this is kind of like how I see my artwork. Even if the day comes where I'm not relevant anymore and people don't see me as a person that is, or an artist that is able to, uh, do books of a relevant nature. I will always try to 
get better, advance myself, keep on look, finding the, the fun again in, in the art. And I find, and the world, you know, and, and I hope that, and that's why I want to write characters like that, where they are, they are kind of your, your vehicle to see the world in a different light than you might not have seen before. All my stories are, all the stories I want to write on my own are like that, are based on that kind of thing. I'm basically a, a hope for a brighter future. And Joyride, is that your first creator-owned project that you've done? Yes, yes, it is. Okay. Tell us a little bit about it. Where did the idea come from? Well, and what, what is it? Well, basically, we'll start off with um, the, uh, the Hollywood pitches, I like to say. Is, is, is Joyride is, is basically Teen Titans in space, or Teen Titans meets Star Trek. So the idea is that it's Star Trek, like they're exploring space, new things that they've never encountered before, and each issue they're encountering something different. Teen Titans comes from the fact that these three teenagers aren't the best of friends. They they they're they're put together because of circumstances and they're trying to figure out the bet how to do the right thing with each other and their situation. What I wanted the story to be about is is kind of like when us as kids or you know young adults move out of the house for the first time and you had no idea how to do things. You had no idea you had to buy a toilet paper. You had no idea how to like clean the clean the kitchen and and stuff happens randomly that you can't ex- experience but all of that happening in a starship how they get into that position is don't they like steal a starship yeah so the in the in the story earth is a very xenophobic place where they are so scared of what's outside their solar system that they even even outside their own planet that they basically built a shield around their entire earth to block everyone from going in and out. So the government of that earth is um, basically making it so that everyone fears the outside. So no one has been outside. There's no humans that's been outside of earth in however many decades or centuries even. And then these kids are done with it. So they hop a ride to the moon and have to go through the moon to go to the other side of the shield. So they basically go through the, the, the other end of the moon and then they steal a starship to go and uh, explore space. It's like your world has been limited to a particular experience for like a long time and they just get so bored and so yearning for what else is out there that they're trying to get to, where the grass is greener or like what else is happening yeah. is happening. Yeah. And I, I always try to try to say it's like how we all were when we were kids trying to leave our parents' houses where they protected us for so long and they didn't want us to go through all the difficulties. But that's part of growing up and that's part of life where you have to go through the difficulties to make you a better person. Did you have that in your own experience? It's funny because my parents always taught me to think for myself, even if it is in contrary to what they think. Okay. And so, you know, so for a lot, I've, I've always been a little bit more of a difficult kid, uh, but an understanding one, right? If, if I, I always knew when to push and pull, when to argue with my parents and when not to, but that's because my mom, my mom was the reason why I'm anywhere that I am now. And a lot of the story is actually from her life. 
in a sense that she was when she was a kid she grew up in communist china during the cultural revolution and she was sent away at like age four or five to live with a grandmother so she had she didn't have a chance to live with her family for entire life and then you know through all the hardships that she's been through from basically being she had to like help bring uh supplies back home from hong kong to her parents she even got sent away on in on in a train in the middle of the night because during i don't uh, for a lot of people that don't know in smaller places the cultural revolution happened because chinese people were mad that other countries were you know affecting or taking advantage of our country right so anything that wasn't Chinese was looked down upon, including clothes and shoes. And because Hong Kong was a British colony, my mom had these shoes that obviously were not Chinese, Chinese. like made, you know, because communism, you basically get what the government gives you and that's all you get. So because they, they saw like the stuff that she had, neighbors called basically the militia on my family. And then so they had to like, put her on a train in the middle of the night and send back to Hong Kong. And she didn't end up seeing her family for a few years after that. And my grandfather, he used to hide people from the militia in his place. So that's why they needed a lot of supplies like food and other things like that. So my mom would take a train back and forth through Hong Kong every once in a while, every like month or two to bring stuff in. So, you know, I didn't know this until my twenties. And I asked my mom, you know, when you came to Canada and you went to school and you married my dad and you had kids. And I asked her, why, what, how could you, why didn't you want to just go and live your life? You're free now. You can do anything you wanted. Why did you want to be, have a family, you know? And she always told me, she said, it's because that that was the thing that I missed growing up. I didn't have that. And I wanted that. I made a decision that a family is what I wanted. And I'm happy with my decision. Even if there was other things in my life that I wanted to do, you know, other things in life I wanted to do and didn't get a chance to do it. But it was, the number one thing was that I wanted a family of my own for something that I didn't have. Wow. And that's why I always focus on things that take away everything else of the influences of other people. And, and you got to ask yourself, what do you want out of your life? Right, right. So the main character I was, even though my mom's not like the main character, because she's not as like impulsive mm-hmm. <laughs> as our as Uma is so Uma is the main character okay. but the idea behind what my mom would always tell me is what I imagined you know the 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 thoughts and and, and everything that that our main character Uma is about okay so your mom and your mom would always just tell you like what 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 was like the main thing that you took away from her experience well it's just the idea that that I'm lucky to be living in in Canada that I have the choice to make and I'm not gonna I'm and I'm not going to um, let it go to waste right you know no matter what I'm not even if all else fails in my life I know that I have the ability to make choices so that is what you know my focus is wow so so with joyride are we gonna see the development of that maturity and those sorts of decisions where it might not be what you it might not be everything you want in life 
but like your mom it it's the it's the decision that she made and and she she really wanted to do it so she so she makes the decision and does what's necessary to accomplish it that's that's exactly the theme that we're developing through the first four issues of this book okay obviously the first few issues it's just about impulse and then responsibility creeps in and then also the realization that we have made this decision and it's the right one and we will go through with it even if hardships come our way right are there enemies are there people chasing them trying to get them back what what is the antagonist forces that are at play here well at first we're we're developing a couple but uh for the first arc uh, the main antagonist is actually the brother of Daywood, which he's charged with bringing his brother back. So the the dynamics between the two brothers is one is just a just a regular tech, and the other one is a high ranking official, right? And of of the of the youth army because they're both they're both you know teenagers, so it's like a high like you know young soldiers, you know they get sent out to do that that work. Almost like in uh, you know that movie, the Michael Bay movie Pearl Harbor, where yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where basically uh, Ben Affleck goes and does this this really <laughs> uh, dangerous journey. But he's a, he's a young guy too, right? right like right, the, right. in the in the scene, like that's that's the thing. That's that's how they do it. Unfortunately, we you know we we as a, a country send send young people out there to do very dangerous things. Right, and in Pearl Harbor, it's like all the veterans die. Yeah. in the disaster, yeah. and all the all the young people are sort of left. Bu- but left we have behind. for this for our story, basically, they send the young people after them because everyone has has been sitting there scared to go. Right, right, and who who else but young brash people would be like, I'll go and I'll bring them back. So we have them the dynamic between the two brothers, and you realize we find out who they are, but also the they're why they're at odds with each other, and why David's brother is so adamant about bringing his brother back to justice. Just um, so that is the main antagonist um, that for now, but Plus we're you develop- have the layers of the familial divide yeah. and all the history between and antagonism between the two of them. Right? Exactly. And then the history between those two, as well as the, the issues uh, that all brothers face, uh, which is, you know, when one brother is clearly superior than the other and the other person, the other brother just wants to live their own life instead of living in the shadow of their brother. But, and so we want to deal with a lot of those themes. Uh, each character has their own themes that they're dealing with. Um, so Uma's character is, is mostly the idea of, uh, of uh, pushing yourself to the limit, living the life that you always want to live without anyone telling you what to do, but also learning responsibility through her actions because of the impulsive nature of her, her life, you know, she finds out that her actions actually affect others as well. So right, the consequences. Exactly. And then same with uh, Daywood where his his actions uh, in his past where he was just a yes man now come to fruition uh, and, and all his secrets come out as well as his his desire to be someone else comes into play when, when he encounters his brother again after this journey. And then Katrin, who's the third character, was a person that's been hiding who she is her entire life, but also doesn't know how special she is. She just thought she was different in different in on Earth at the time uh, of our story is not good. 
being different, being abnormal, being something other than the the rest. And we're we're slowly revealing how different she is, and also her history with Uma, who they the two of them have um have an interesting uh, revelation of of how they connect together. Oh, crazy! Uh, I'm really interested in this because it. It, there's like a deep theme and you seem to have like a really intricate understanding of like family dynamics and what drives people in terms of responsibility and, and drive and that sort of thing. Like these are, these are heady things that you're dealing with. Like the sibling relationship, is that something, do you have siblings? Is that something yes, that uh... you have experienced? Like that sort of rivalry, but love at the same, at the same time. It's interesting because my mom, I, I always feel my mom's the greatest thing in the world, the greatest person in the world. And she has always, she always made it so that we weren't treated the same, but we weren't loved any worse or better. But at the same time, I un- always understood I was a middle child. My sister's older and my brother's younger. I always knew that they needed more attention than I did. So I always took a step back because I felt like they needed it. You know, my sister being the only girl, she has, she always felt that my mom loved my brother and I more but I don't think that's the case. My mom was very hard on my sister, but because she expected so much from my sister, because she was, you know, top of the class, you know, music, musical talent, uh, everything else, her brothers were not. My Myself and my brother were not like that, right. you know. But my brother, on the other hand, athlete, great artist, photographer, you know, six feet tall, dark, handsome, and uh, he he played on you know high school basketball team and all this other stuff. Well, who was I? I was just a short kid that drew. You know what I mean? And did I th- you think your brother was a better artist than you were? He could have been. Um, he didn't have the focus, and he didn't like it as much as I did. So that had a lot to do with it. But he has that innate ability to just see things that people don't, which is why he gravitated towards photography, right. where he would see things and take a picture of what is in his mind and it, it make if that's the beauty of photography the great photographers see everyday things and see the what's special about them right? right so my brother's always been good at that as well as athletic and i saw him i remember in in school uh i saw him play just r- randomly against college kids when he was like 16 and just completely and one schooling them. I don't know if you remember what and one mixtapes were like, but my brother was really into that, which was basically streetball. And so he'd say at 16, he would play against guys that are like 1920 and just making them look ridiculous. And I couldn't believe it, but that's who he was. Right. And, and so the, the, it's funny because the main bad guy is basically my brother. <laughs> wow. I don't want to make it seem like we have a bad relationship because we have a really good relationship. It's just, and the same with my siblings. We fight all the time, but that's kind of how we were raised. We were, my mom always raised us to be who we want to be and, and not worry about the other person, even though we do worry about it, but we have to say our two cents. And we, the three of us, we're all very different people and we disagree on so many things, but that's the beauty of our relationship because we disagree with each other but we work together to make things better for everybody. So Right, that's awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like I mean you are working with other people on this, but yep. it sounds like 
a lot of the conception comes from you and your life and your your family. And well, the beauty of, of, of the the awesome thing about working with Jackson and Colin, which are the writers, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, uh, is that they how it started. We developed this idea together. Okay, but it started kind of how we're talking right now where I would explain to them and talk to them about the themes that I want to touch upon. And there, I know that they feel the same way. So when we matched up my themes with their sensibilities as well, because they understood this too, you know, like they have siblings, they have, well, Jackson has a, has siblings and then Colin is an only child, but that's why certain characters you know, like Katrin is like Colin, like the, his, his story, his focus is kind of on that. While Uma is a little bit more on the, on the side that Jackson is where he has a, his brother and him are like 10 year difference. So like he knew what it was like to be free and clear, but then all of a sudden, you know, like as, as you're older, having a, a younger sibling right. and now He's he's finding out certain things as his brother is getting older and to the age where, you know, he's like 18 and joining the military and wanting to do these things and now having having a hard hardships. And finally, after all these years, feeling that he needs Jackson to be the bigger brother, right. you know, and, and these are the themes that they understand as well. And it started off with me just talking like this and they just take that nugget of information and making it something really cool. How did you guys meet? How did you get together? Actually, we got together through uh, working on Hacktivist. So the okay. first volume Hacktivist was when we first met. And was that with Alyssa Milano? Yes, it was. It was uh, Alyssa Milano created the IP and it was, and this is, again, this is why Jackson and Colin is so great is that they had a meeting with Alyssa and she would talk like we talk now and they take that information and just come up with great ideas and scenarios. Right, right. So, so she didn't have to do like the heavy lifting of the of the writing and stuff you you guys would do that you'd do the art and yep. she would just come up with like the ideas and stuff and then they would take that and, and yes yes and no because uh, she's not a writer and she knows that right. but she did so much of the research she did so much she had binders full of research before we even got there of so stuff she built that the she, Bible, yes. the world. Yes, she built the world, she built the idea, she built the theme, everything that she wanted to touch upon and all the all the facts, and which is why it's such a relevant story to the things that are going on right now, especially with, you know, the uh, with Anonymous and other hackers. Yeah, it sounds the like the comic kind of equivalent thing. of like Mr. Robot. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Sort of, which is a show that's very of now and yep. very of the moment with WikiLeaks and the Panama Papers and those sorts of things and spying and that kind of thing. Well, it's the idea that um, information should be available for people. Edu- I never think education is a bad thing. Uh, we should all learn from each other. We should all learn from the things that are happening around us. And that's the thing. When when people have stuff to hide like that, you know it's never going to be good. Right, right, exactly. This being your first creator-owned book, Joyride, what are you bringing to it that you've learned from the people that you've worked with over the years? Like, you got to draw Grant Morrison's Multiversity and that sort of thing. So you've worked with some pretty huge people in terms of in terms of collaboration what have you learned from those people that has influenced you know how you want to do your own projects outside of dc or marvel and that sort of thing Uh, that's a tough question because 
sometimes there are su- such intangible things like you work with, you collaborate with somebody and, and you, you really like their work ethic or, or how professional they are at answering the emails or something, even something as small as just maybe you like how they interact with fans. Right. And I think that every, every creator that you work with, you take something good out of, or you try to at least. Um, there are obviously people that, you know, you might not get along with. And that is a lesson in itself. Um, that is a lesson in how maybe not to act. When it comes to Grant Morrison, I, I unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to speak with him very much about okay. the, the project. While on the other hand, with creators like Alyssa Milano, some of the things that I've, I've I've seen from her and how she composes herself, she she even was at you know San Diego Comic Con signing books and stuff like that, and 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 this is a woman that not only is she a mother, uh, she is an actress, she she is in other things on TV as well, she's a spokesperson, she runs her own company, she 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 started her own company if you don't know this. Of uh, she felt she's a big sports fan, and she was always mad that all the all the stuff that she can get was always just pink, and how she wanted actual, you know, licensed merchandise with the team colors. So she just created for her own women. company for women yeah. and cut for women, right? And she created her own company and got licenses from you know major league sports herself to create a line of clothing for women that are sports fans. Because she felt that it was a lot, there was an industry was lacking that, so she took it upon herself to do it. Which is why, like, you learn things from people where it's just like you see that they don't have represent. We don't have representation in comic books. Let's try to do it ourselves to to see if we can, you know, make something out of this. And 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 that's, you know, when I met her beyond all the stardom stuff, the acting acting stuff, all the things she does for mothers for women in general it it's it's amazing and and she should be commended for it for sure and 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 for myself you know you learn to try to be who others hope you you to be that's amazing because i think people like Alyssa milano especially when you're you're famous like that the outside world is going to have always have their own idea of yeah, who, you, who are, you are and she's going to be fighting that for the rest of her life yeah. and it seems like she's nothing like you would think Mo- Alyssa Milano is from like who's the boss or those sorts of I think the tricky things. thing about about comics or art in general creating in general uh whether it be writing or drawing in it, it is kind of inherently a very selfish type of and I'm not saying that in a negative way, but how I describe it is because when you're when you're drawing or you're when you're writing, a lot of times, especially how you start off with, it's for you, right? So you're always drawing for you, and that's why I feel nowadays that there's a huge backlash between people that you know draw comic books and people who read comics because a lot of times the fan base might not match. You know what you're drawing, what you're drawing, what you're writing, and right. And you said before we started recording that it, that you put so much of yourself yeah. into what you're into what you're doing. So inherently, it's really difficult to think outside of what you want your stuff to look like. Right. But you can take that to your advantage. Do you know what I mean? You can you can take that selfishness, turn it to your advantage, and ask yourself what what are the focuses 
the things in society that you feel that you have the ability or you're passionate about, right. which is why Alyssa's passionate about sports. But how do you make sports better? Well, she has the the voice, the the stature, the the personality to to take something that she loves and to make it better. And then hopefully, you know, like because I still draw for me, yes. But I try to focus the things that I'm passionate about, like equality and representation, and hopefully that translates into the projects that I work on, especially with create your own stuff, right? Right, and that's what you get to do. Yeah, having your own creator, create your own book, you get to impart some of the stuff that you know you need to make the world better. The yeah. things that you you try to put a little yourself that progresses the world to where you want it to be and then package it up in an entertaining way <laughs> right right exactly so you mentioned that you're you're interested in like representation in comics how is joyride going to address representation in comics and what are your issues with representation in comics the fun thing and then this is going back to where i use star trek as a tool or uh, an example of what I wanted to talk about was that I, I don't like to be so direct with a lot of things I do, but th that's the beauty of, of what Star Trek was about, was that they took economic and social issues, but made it into a science fiction. And all science, all great science fiction is like that. They take actual relevant issues, but package it up in a like a sci-fi way right. to make it entertaining. So all the things where it becomes equality, where acceptance of who you are and who other people are. And that's like a vehicle that sci-fi does great because there's so many different cultures that you encounter and aliens that you encounter through it. But, you know, to focus on what really just the four issues are really about, it's kind of finding yourself. A lot of people have a problem with not knowing who they are or what they want to be. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I want to elaborate more on other themes as we go on. Hopefully, if the series does well, we can do we can really push on other themes. But the first theme will be kind of accepting who you are and the things that you want to do in your life, but also accepting those around you mm -hmm. as well for who they are. And and that's the focus at the moment of the theme. I, I really want to get into more representation stuff with, when it comes to um, ethnicities and race. But this that one's a little bit more of a subtle theme with it because that's why we wanted to incorporate a lot more aliens. With the future that we have on Earth, we wanted to make it so that like you know, in my eyes, in hundreds of years in the future, we're all kind of going to be looking the same anyways. We're probably going to be like a little bit more of an olive to tan skin, darker skin tone, darker hair. You know what I mean? And so some of the characters, they might have some 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 things that we're going to reveal of, of physical, physical attributes that they tried to hide. And I'm sure a lot of teenagers... Because of the xenophobia and yeah. things like that. And so, like, that that's why I feel like a lot of teenagers understand this. Because how many things if that you're worried about your appearance that you try to hide so yeah, that everyone knows like that... Yourself. Yeah, so yeah. that you know that... So that people can feel that you're not any different than them. Wow. So Cool. So that's awesome. I, I'm really excited for this book. You basically just told me like what your hopes are for the for the future of the book. So I think that's a perfect place to end on. Where can people find you on Twitter or social media? And 
what do you feel like you you want to leave us with? Is there anything else that you want to touch on? Well, uh, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at at Marcus Toe, and uh, uh, my Tumblr is marcustoe.tumblr.com, and my website is marcustoe.com. So if you just Google Marcus Toe, you'll find all all that kind of stuff there. But you know, I'd like to end upon the 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 fact that like. And and I applaud you yourself, Aaron, for doing the things that you love to do to spread to spread the word of things that you enjoy. I I think one of the biggest things, and I I don't do this enough myself as well. So this is also a message to me. But what one thing that I really want people to try to do is you know stop talking about all the things you don't like on on social media. Let's start talking about all the things we do like, so we can share the things we do like, so that other people that read your stuff like friends and family, they can see all the great comic books that are out there instead of us downplaying, t- down, downplaying all the bad stuff. Right. I want to share, I want us to share things. So I, even I can find new things that are great instead of seeing things that I don't like. Right. Right. right? Exactly. So I think we should, we should all do a, a good, a better effort into, into sharing all the great things that are out there, especially in comics, we're very lucky that we have a ton of things that that are so good and so diverse, but they're they're not being you know put to the forefront. They're it's, buried. They're buried between a lot of the other stuff that are out there. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. And I and I think too, like the marketing and promotion sometimes is misdirected. Yeah, I mean the companies choose to promote books that they think are going to be hits and then meanwhile the books that take off or the books that are really good Mm -hmm. sort of get sort of get buried or not and that sort of thing so exactly um yeah so we're gonna help make the cultural conversation more positive with speech bubble like that's sort of what i want to do and awesome uh for the listening audience you can find us on twitter at speech bubble pod uh, facebook.com slash speech bubble pod uh, we're on itunes please rate and review our show and uh, subscribe on itunes we're also on podcast republic and uh, until next time thank you marcus for for coming in and we'll definitely have you again thanks man appreciate it talk to you later bye this has been speech bubble see you in the future friends